0: wonderful well we're going to talk about godliness tonight and we're in second peter chapter 1 going through our list of qualities that i am calling components of christ likeness being like jesus being like christ and what all goes into making that happen in our lives and peter's writing to these believers in this epistle and we're just taking this really word by word, um, and we might even take a couple messages to talk about some of these words, depending because there's just so much here uh, to uh, to talk about in just a Wednesday evening service. But here in Second Peter, chapter one, and uh, verse six, here it says that the very last phrase, and that to patience, godliness. And of course, the word add is implied there, which comes from the middle of verse 5. And we're adding to each of these things. Building, supplementing is the word that I've often used here. Uh, not to suggest that you have to master one quality before you move on to the next. It's not like passing one class before you go on to the next. And it's not to suggest that you don't have any of this in your life at the point that you get saved, but it's it's an attention. But we do see how one sort of leads to the other or one sort of supports the next quality. So last week we talked about patience and a, I sort of used the synonym of endurance to give us a better idea of what's being talked about in that specific word of patience there. And so from there, it leads into the spirit of godliness. Now, what is Godliness. Let me define it this way for us. Godliness is the cultivating of a God-honoring devotion to Jesus Christ which promotes righteousness and opposes evil in your daily life. That's a kind of a long definition to understand, but let me just say that again for you. Godliness is the cultivating of God-honoring devotion to Jesus Christ which promotes righteousness and opposes evil in your daily life. Now, there's obviously a lot more that we could say about that. When it comes to this progressive list that we're going through here, we're kind of in the midway point at this moment as we're looking at godliness. We find that godliness is preceded, first of all, by endurance, and in in front of that was the idea of temperance, or we would say self-control. And when you really think about it, those two qualities really are very needful for us to be truly godly. Godliness is not something that comes very easily because of the opposition of our flesh. And also because we are warring against a spiritual invisible enemy, Satan. And so we know that our weapons are not carnal. They're not tangible in nature. We don't pick up revolvers and swords and things of that nature. Uh, But the weapons of our warfare are spiritual in nature. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We understand that. And even our Savior, as He faced temptation in Matthew 4 from Satan, that's how He addressed it each time, throwing out Scripture very pointedly, addressing the temptation that was before Him. So for us to be godly, we realize, wow, you know, there there was a battle for our Lord. So I shouldn't be surprised if I'm facing a battle personally in my daily walk to try to please and honor Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this, this does not necessarily uh, mean that we're currently endowed with all godliness or that we should ever have that we should ever have, but that Christ is uh, using the building blocks, the raw materials to help us realize that godliness. So obviously it would help us if we knew a little bit more about what's entailed in godliness. So we're going to look at about three or four other verses of Scripture that I think will help us to appreciate this one word that's being talked about here. And so the next verse I want us to see is found in chapter 3 in verse 11. And the context of what's being um, talked about in this verse is thinking about prophetically. He's trying to challenge the believers that he's writing to to look beyond the immediate concerns of the day and living for the moment. Don't just be consumed with just getting through today and making your value system based upon what is going to happen in the next five minutes. So after describing what I would call the prophetic meltdown of our home planet, And everything in it, Peter challenges his readers to consider something. Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. It says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, right? So what's he talking about here? This is what I call the need for us to consider the long-term value of investing in godliness. There's a long-term value in investing in godliness. Now, let's just put this in terms of an analogy that we can maybe relate to. Here at the church, we, we buy a lot of uh, disposable dinnerware. Uh, brother, brother Mike is very kind to make journeys down to Costco and Sam's Club and other people have done this and helped resupply the church. You know We reimburse, you know, but you go down there and you find out a Baptist church goes through a lot of styrofoam. And what I love about pa- Brother Mike is that he'll he'll come to me and he says, Pastor, do we need any more styrofoam cups? He says, you know, because the, the, the case of 5000 is on sale for f- $5 less than it normally is, okay? And I'm thinking, okay, instead of half a penny... You know, per cup, we're probably down to, you know, four-tenths of a penny per cup or something. You know, and it adds up, especially the way we go through coffee cups around here. Now, I dare say Brother Mike would not be up for buying, if they had them, styrofoam coffee cups that had gold gilding around the rim of the cups. And each cup went for, say, three bucks a styrofoam cup you say that's that's ridiculous the whole nature of the cup is that it's inexpensive because it's disposable now probably many of us in here have precious drinking vessels that maybe we've put more money into i have a i have an insulated drinking cup that i put a little bit more money into and it's has a spring loaded lid to it and so forth like that and you know but i have one of those okay I don't drink out of it once and pitch it in the trash. We understand that. Would be that we fully recognize that as we begin to evaluate everything we do spiritually during the day. And that's really what he's getting at. He's saying to us, stop and think about how we invest our time and our energies in just daily life experience. And stop and say, okay, how much of what I am dealing with is very tentative? It's disposable. And probably most of what we often put our value and our attention to isn't isn't going to last very long when it comes to perspective of eternity is the idea. In fact, it's all going to be burned up, isn't it? Now, that's not to say that we become so lackadaisical that we're bad stewards of the things that God has put into our hands. We don't going to go far to the other extreme. But I think we do well to stop and say, okay, there may not be a chapter and verse about a choice that I'm about to make in my life today about what to do or what to purchase or how to spend my time. But let me stop and think. In the scheme of eternity, and the fact that everything around me is, is going to melt with a fervent heat, how wise am I, and what I'm about to do? Is that a good question to ask? Because we tend to say, "Well, what's wrong with it?" No, we're asking the wrong questions. We need to be asking, "What's best? What's long term?" am I buying styrofoam cups with gold gilding around the rim? You say, that's pretty foolish. And so it's good for us to get down on our knees and pray in the morning or evening and say, God, did I live wisely today? Did I promote godliness to the degree that You would have had me to? And that would be involved in, of course, being in the Word, Meditating in it, praying, but it's really so much more than that. did was I mindful of souls around me or was I so caught up in my my schedule and what I needed to do for the next few few hours that I lost sight of the fact that these people will go into eternity, but what I spent time in is not going to go into eternity? And so as we think about godliness, we really need to realize that we have to consider the long-term value of investing in godliness. We are focusing on just the internal heart of godliness because of its placement in our list of supplements that are here. We should realize that God wants us to give a priority to godliness over earthly priorities, and we can be quickly consumed with the issues of daily life and neglect our very spiritual well-being, am I growing in grace the way I should be? So consider the the long-term value. Secondly, consider the unique work by the person of Jesus Christ when it comes to godliness. Godliness is not going to be achieved by putting forth greater personal effort to become more like God. You, you can't just make a New Year's resolution, resolution, I'm going to be more godly, and now I'm going to just push forward to achieve that. Look over at First Timothy. Go back a couple of books in your Bible, if you would, to First Timothy 3, verse 16. And when it comes to trying to define the gospel, this is sometimes a, a verse that's good to have hit in your heart. 1 Timothy 3:16 When we're talking about this personal effort, you know, if we were just to try to conform outwardly, it would not be authentic, would it? Not not where it needs to be. And so Paul is instructing in this passage young Timothy, this this youthful pastor that godliness was somewhat mysterious. I want you to notice this. It says, and without controversy, great is the what? Mystery of godliness. Mystery of godliness. Is is godliness really mysterious? Well, if you understand true godliness, there is a mystery to it. There's something that God divinely has to reveal to us that is not readily visible and able to be discerned by just a normal human being without the agent Of the Holy Spirit. But then you think, okay, I'm thinking godliness. That means moral living. That means, you know, living, saying the right things, getting rid of raunchy music, turning off those kind of shows that I shouldn't be watching. That's godliness. But look at what he goes on to say after he mentions the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. What is that talking about? That's talking about the... Yeah, it's talking about the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ when God became man. So God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. You have a little synopsis here of the life of Jesus Christ from beginning to end, don't you here? It lists six separate things concerning Christ that this verse is therefore saying this is what leads you into godliness. You see, they comprise the essence of Jesus' life. Not every event, obviously, but the essence of His life. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy is when you become convinced of Jesus being the God-man, right? When you stop and think about that. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. God became man. And then his impactful gospel mission that was visible for three years as he was preached and he went around. But the gospel ministry didn't stop after his death, burial, and resurrection. He's continued to have a ministry. But now, invisibly so, he's doing it through the agent of the Holy Spirit, through the church. And when you begin to think about all of that, what is Paul, I believe, is saying here is we are moved to have Christ magnified in our lives. If you sit and mull over, this is really what's important. This is the essence. I mean, God came to earth for the gospel's sake to preach good news to the lost so that men would be redeemed. What am I busy doing? What am I caught up in? Am am I sold on this? If so, what kind of person should I be? be wanting God to transform me into daily. Routinely read and meditate on the life and work of Christ. Say, I've read the Gospels. I know the stories. You know, I find is each time I pass over the stories of the life of Jesus Christ once again fresh, it seems to dig the furrow a little deeper of my, my passion and my compassion for my Lord. And think, really? I have been living in the life of Carl Wood now this many more years, and I realize more now than when I was saved as a 12-year-old boy how undeserving I am of the grace of God and how more amazing it is that Jesus has done what He has done and what He's still doing. How can I not want to engage in becoming more like my Savior? Godliness. We need to understand that it's the unique work by the person of Jesus Christ. I can't just do it. I need to be yielded to the Lord and let His life be lived through me. That's what Paul was saying. For me to live is Christ. When he said it, he didn't use the word godliness, but you can be sure that if his life was Christ, he was being godly. And his appetite was saying, you know what, I'm not. Tied to anything here on this planet, so from to die's gain. That is our mindset as we strive for godliness. Thirdly, let's consider the importance of accurate interpretation of the Bible when it comes to this. There is a growing number of so called teachers out there, they've always been around. Seems like there's a greater plethora of these kinds of people, and by this I mean those that use the Bible to promote lifestyles and philosophy that harmonize with fleshly yearnings. In other words, let's go find out what normal man would like, and now let's design church to appeal to that. By the the way, I remember very vividly, before we moved here, we lived up in Chicago, our house where Becky and I lived in Streamwood, Illinois, we were just a couple miles away from uh, the, the home of the uh, uh, Hybels, Bill Hybels, and Willow Creek Community Church. You say, who's that? Well, he was more well-known, you know, back in the late 80s and the 90s, and uh, there ended up being a network of churches that came out of, of this. But the key thing was Bill Hybels wrote a book about how the church got started. And everybody would look at it and say, that's a successful church. Why? Well, they would run 10,000, 11,000 people on a Sunday. They didn't just have a church, they had a campus. From an organizational standpoint, it was amazing. But the way they started the church was he went out in the community and he just went door to door, not giving the gospel, but saying, tell me what you'd like to see in a church. And he got answers like, well, I want to go to a church where I'm not going to be made to feel bad because someone's standing up preaching out of the Bible a message that makes me squirm. I'm not quoting, but this is the gist of it. So try to try to remove so much conviction out of preaching. That's just one example, and there were many other things. Well, you you have lost people designing what church is going to look like. You might fill your building with people, but when it comes to seeing people that are being transformed in the image of Christ, it's not going to happen. And so we need to make sure that we're looking at the Bible for establishing the framework of what our ministry philosophy is because quite frankly what a shame and how unfair it is to those people that need to know listen jesus came to save you from what you're in not to make you comfortable of what you're in paul warns timothy in first timothy you want to flip over to first timothy chapter 6 he warns timothy about false teachers who would suggest that servants should buck against the leadership of their masters that was the The hot button issue that Paul's talking to Timothy about. There's people are saying there's some of these servants are like, I don't know, why do I have to obey him? After all, I'm a Christian and he's a Christian. And so some of the false teachers were to sort of gain a popular following were saying, well, you know, you're both equal in Christ. You're both brothers in Christ. Well, that's true. But just because you're brothers in Christ and you're in the family of God, we understand there's still structure and hierarchy where we're called to submit, both in the home as well as in daily public life, as well as in the church. We understand that. There needs to be that organization. And so Paul addresses the danger of this. And in 1 Timothy 6 and verses 3 and 4, it says, "...if any man teaches otherwise..." And what is he saying? That servants should honor whom they serve, not buck against it. But if any man teaches otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. What's he saying here? This is the teaching for how, in this case, servants should respond to their masters. And by the way, if they're not responding that way, they're not going to be godly people. You you cannot say, I want to be right vertically with my Heavenly Father, but I don't care how I am horizontally with my fellow man. You see, over and over again in Scripture, you can't say, I love the Father and I hate my brother. You can't say, I'm going to bring a, a sacrifice to the altar, but I'm still going to have a grudge against my neighbor over here. God says, take care of that, then come back and do the sacrifice. So, we understand the priority that there is an intertwining of our interpersonal relationships and God, how He's taught us about how we respond to those things. And we can't suggest that somehow, well, I can be godly apart from that. No. It all goes together. So, we have to be careful about our interpretation of the Bible. There are people out there that would begin to twist and pervert. And say, well, you can be godly and follow any lifestyle you want because God sees your heart. God does see your heart. That's all the more reason why you need to follow His Word. A false teacher would be prone to overlook the priority of godliness. And it's very appealing to follow a teaching that eliminates submission. You don't have to submit. Great, I'll go to that church. It's easy with the flesh is concerned. By the way, it was interesting, after several years, going back to the example I used, there were, there were lots of people that had been in churches, like I described, and they were beginning to leave. And I know firsthand because the Christian school I taught in, there were a couple families that, that said, well, we've been in that church and we left, and I'm, I'm like, "Why? what caused you to leave? This is because we didn't feel like we were getting the real help because no one was confronting us with the problems that we needed to be dealt with in our lives. Like Praise God! So we need to know the Bible has doctrine, and doctrine has teeth to it. Doctrine has teeth to it. But fourthly, I want you to realize that we need to consider the connection between godliness and contentment. We need to consider the connection between godliness and contentment. Over in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, just a couple verses, you'll see the word godliness again. And it says this, but godliness with contentment is what? Great game. Now, let me clarify. This verse is not saying that we should be content with whatever level of godliness we might have. That would be a misinterpretation of what's being said here. I, you know, I'm just, don't touch me. I have what godliness I have, and I'm content. I'm following the Bible. No, that's not. That's a a twisting of what that is saying there, right? What is it saying? It is saying that if we have learned to be content with such things as we have, while yearning for and valuing true godliness in our lives, then we've achieved that which is most valuable in our life. In other words, what we're supposed to be content with is the other stuff in life. Not to say, don't challenge me about my growth in the Lord. No. Be thankful for godliness. And if you're, if you're growing in that area and you see godliness in your life, and it, it shouldn't matter what you do or don't have when it comes to everything else. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. There was none godlier than our Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to stuff. He did not even have his own bed. Boxes have holes. Not the Son of Man. He was poorer than the birds, which at least had a nest. When he was born, he was laid in a borrowed feed trough. When he was buried, he was laid in a borrowed tomb. Lord, we have no record that he left a will. A last will and testament. The only thing that He was concerned about was the caring of His earthly mother, which He entrusted into the hands of one of His disciples, John. Jesus didn't have stuff. What an example. Paul warns us in verse 5 of 1 Timothy 6 about those who considered an increase in financial gain as a sign of godliness. Prosperity preachers. There are believers that God gifts with significant material possessions. You don't want to walk away and say, oh, he's rich and he's a Christian. He must not be right with God. No. Abraham was the friend of God and he could personally finance a war against nations. He had some stuff. We're told that Job was just and and God basically showed him off to Satan because of his godliness. But Job... Had a lot of possessions. And that's one of the ways in which Satan tested by obliterating most of his financial resources, right? And what was Job's response? Naked came I out of the womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, wow. What a testament. Solomon, quite wealthy. The Bible says he loved God. He had his problems. All these men were imperfect. And yet we don't want to suggest that financial prosperity is equivalent to, to spiritual purity. Hebrew James, rather, James chapter two, verse five says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? You don't hear the prosperity gospel people on the network, the cable television stations preaching verses like this, right? See, godliness is one of those few areas of life that we ought to be discontent in if we are deficient in it. Don't be discontent with what level your bank account is in or the condition of your house or your cars or just you can be somewhat you know, freedom. God, you'll take care of it when you need it. We serve the same God that George Mueller prayed to. Orphans need milk. Knock at the door. Milk truck broke down. Anybody need some free milk, right? Same God. But what we we usually get discontent over the wrong things. We're discontent over those things. And we're pretty okay with our level of spirituality when it's like, you know what? There's still room to grow. There's still supplementing that can go on here. I love in personal private worship to add singing, you know. One of one of the songs that really is dear to my heart was written by Ron Hamilton a number of years ago. He wrote it as a testament of the impact of someone in his life and how he was drawn to the Lord by the testimony of this person. It's called, I Saw Jesus in You. I want to read the second verse in the course. It says, When I stand before my Father to receive my life's reward, and my soul is bathed in God's eternal day, when this race on earth is run, and God sees the works I've done, more than anything I long to hear my Father say, I saw Jesus in you. I saw Jesus in you. I could hear His voice in the words you said. I saw Jesus in you. In your eyes I saw His care. I could see His love was there. You were faithful. And I saw Jesus in you. Isn't that a wonderful testament? Isn't that what we all want to have said about us? And we can all think of individuals that says, you know what? I'm drawn to Jesus because I saw a little bit of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, in this person. I saw him under pressure, and I saw godliness come out. I saw something that I would have saw an individual, anyone else, in my mind, if I had been in their shoes, they would they would just lost their cool. But they didn't. And I know it's because of Jesus impacting their lives. Godliness. Godliness. And the thing is, the Holy Spirit wants to develop it in all of us. May the Lord enable us to grow in this area. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that this is not a work that is up to us to simply produce. But Lord, we need to be yielded. We need to be enthused. We need to be longing for this. Lord, there needs to be a certain amount of discontent about our godliness in our lives and a contentment about all of these other areas that we're usually so worked up about. So, Father, instruct our spirit as only you can in Jesus' name. Amen.